no joke, literally right before Molly jumped on, Greg and I were talking about um, employee stuff. And so it really is the perfect time to have Molly on. Um, I assume at this point, everybody who knows me knows you, Molly. But for anybody who, for whatever reason, does not, um, I'm sorry. And congratulations, you get to meet Molly now. Molly has been coaching, consulting, and directing presidents and founders in national organizations and over 4,000 law firms since the late 90s. Um, she does executive level leadership, continuous improvement and team empowerment initiatives to infiltrate new markets, how to leverage partner ecosystems and how to produce more profitability. 23 years of specific skill set experience in legal CMO marketing, fractional CEO, conversational intelligence coaching, team development and empowerment, entrepreneur talent acquisition, Kaizen leadership, root cause analysis, revenue mapping and action based project management. She also has one of my all-time favorite legal theme, I guess not even really legal themed, employee, employer, employee employment themed podcast, um, Empowering and Hiring Solutions, where she really helps go through so much of what it comes down to, finding the right people, having the right interview process, bringing on the right people, training them the right way, getting them onboarded, et cetera. And so I'm super excited that we get to chat today about quality over quantity, growing your team's skills. So we're gonna talk about how you help your team uh, grow so that you as a company get that exponential growth. Molly, thanks for being with us. Oh, Jordan, wow, thanks for having me here. I'm excited. And Molly is a uh, two-time guest of Exhibit A. We had to bring her back on just because this is such a key important topic and I'm super happy to get to pick her brain on it and hopefully I know I'll learn something. Hopefully you all will learn something as well. But before we dive into that, I do want to talk about our last episode. Most recently, we had Bill Farias on, my uh, fellow Red Sox fan. Whether that's a torture or a treat depends upon the week this season. Uh, Bill talked to us about where's the beef. So setting client expectations. So especially in a family law firm, but really in any practice, how do you set the right expectations so that you can meet and exceed those expectations um, another random coincidence. I got an email from a client that's case closed three years ago, asking for some clarification today on it. And so I'm, uh, we're doing our best to track down as much information as we can from the middle of 2019 pre COVID times. Uh, we'll see how that goes, but clearly we set the right expectation that the client knew they could come back to us with whatever questions. So that being said today, we've got Molly here. We're talking about that quantity over quality, growing the team skills, Molly, take us away. Tell us a little bit more about your story. Who is Molly McGrath? Uh, well, as you said, I, I'm really passionate about the legal space, kind of fell into it in the late 90s when I moved from New York to Colorado. And back then you'd answer an ad in the paper in the classifieds. And um, my first job I got was with an organization called um, National Network of Estate Planning Attorneys. And thankfully, I had never had an experience with an attorney at, up until that time when I was 27 years old. So the only thing I knew about attorneys were all the really horrific lawyer jokes and all the stories about their money hungry, their arrogant, all the stuff that was And then you learn all those things to be true and learn so many more <laughs> terrible jokes. <laughs> you know what? I I I found the quite the opposite. I don't know. I, I know you work with a lot of estate planning firms too, but they would say they were social workers with law degree. They start with her. So often I'd, I'd go to these legal conference back then when you'd had 2000 people in a room and that was the only way they could learn. There was no virtual learning. And we'd go to the events and I was hired as a project manager. And 
go to the events and you would hear the attorneys stand up. They're talking about business building, marketing, legal, technical, legal, software, all the stuff. And so often they were, you know, getting schooled for not charging enough and mm. being consistently reminded you are a for-profit business. You are not for profit. Like you cannot, you have to increase your fees. You have to start treating your law firm like a business. I just was fascinated to hear the conversation. Then you'd have the coffee breaks, lunch breaks, go to the bar in the evening, go do karaoke, all the fun stuff you do at legal events. And sitting there, you know, our job when we were hired, we had a network with the uh, clients, the attorneys, their support team, they'd bring their support team there. And on the left me would be the attorney that would say business would be great, but for the employees, people, my employees don't care. They just want a paycheck. They're clock watchers or blah, blah, blah. Then I turn to the right and talk, hear from the employees and say, they're a control freak. They won't delegate anything. I can never get their time. They come back from all these legal conferences and then they fire like they're Tony Robbins and they're so excited and pumped up. And then they dump all these binders on my desk, give me no direction and they're like, fix this place. And so, but then I, then I try to do, I dig through, try to implement through these strategic plans. And then I bring it back to them and be like, all right, great. Here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. And then they have this deferred to deflect. They're like, well, I need to process it. I need to think about it and then never get their time back because they're always jam packed, you know, chasing the next client and or in a conference room. So there's such a vicious cycle. And for me, I've always since I've been a little kid, people are like, yes, so many questions. You're a pain in the ass, like blah, blah, blah. Always. I'm like, like that, was why? that from your parents? Teachers <laughs> yeah. who was everyone i've always been a deeply curious person by and large about the human conditioning you know i at one point i wanted to be a psychologist wanted to be a social worker i'm like oh actually i am you know that's what i do every day and i just was like there was that they both wanted the same thing they were not speaking the same language and they didn't have the framework for how to get on the same page and from there you know, coming back from these conferences, we do debriefs and me being me, I'm not a shy person. I'd say, guys, you know, to my lead team, I'd say, ah, there's something wrong here. There's a massive breakdown between this, what the attorney's saying, this, what the team's saying, but they're saying the exact same thing. They're like, great. You go create a key back then you go create a key assistant program for the assistants. And so that's what I did. It's interesting. The, uh, you know, Michael Gerber talks about what, like, we don't, as in that's beginning of small businesses, you don't delegate, you just abdicate. Yes. Or advocate, advocate. And, um, and then you get the attorney though, who like has been through that process and then loops back to the, I'll just do it myself. I'll just do it myself or I'll never approve the change to it. Um, just, I bless you, Molly, for navigating that sort of, uh, interpersonal, inter office, inter mingle situation. Um, but I want to, I guess really our conversation here is sort of to flip this, right? Because ultimately at the end of the day, I think if the employees truly don't care, that's a separate issue. But here you're like really preventing them from executing that care. I mean, am I correct in that? Yeah. You know, Gary Vee does all these videos you see all over the place saying, nobody's going to care about your business as much as you do. Stop expecting your employees to care as much as you do. 
I don't agree with that at all. And it's not my experience. I talk to employees every single day. Now, back in the 90s, absolutely, people were in it for a paycheck. They were coming, not everybody, but it was definitely more than it is now. So my challenges were very, very different um, than they are now. And especially, and I don't like to keep saying in a post-pandemic world or after in these COVID. uncertain times. <laughs> yeah, but it's really happened since 2008, you know, when things started coming down and people I've since that time and even more so now, I'm so delighted. I interview candidates all day long and my recruiters do. We do I do a daily huddle with my recruiters. I'm like, tell me what people are saying. The first question we ask is, why are you talking to a recruiter? What What's not working in what your current situation? No room for growth or I need more opportunity are hands down the number one. Never, I'm not making enough money ever. Right. But then when I distill, like what's your definition of growth? What's your definition of opportunity? Talk to me. It really boils down to that they're not getting the time, attention and feedback that they need. They're not really connected to whoever's leading this thing, depending on the layers of C-level suites that you have from managers, what have you. But whoever is their quote unquote boss, that they're not getting the proper time with them. It's not necessarily because attorneys will call me and they'll say, I need someone with batteries included and I don't have time to train. I'm like, okay, great. So we find you someone with batteries included. We find you somebody who has that specific skill set you need, whether a paralegal, uh, attorney, whatever it means. You're still hiring a human being. You, this is still a relationship. They need your time. It might not be about specific skill set or knowledge training, but they need the coaching in regards to having the conversations and really checking in. Okay, here's where we're at. It, it's like treating it like a locker room huddle before you go on the Super Bowl playing field. Like you can't just hand them the rule book and then not communicate with them. Well, and I've, I've talked to so many people that have commented on, I'm going to say millennials, which at this point are people in their 40s, um, <laughs> that there's this push to be really knowledgeable about the why, the why behind the business. Like not just we do legal work, but from the estate planning perspective. You know, we are helping families make sure that the transition after their death is as seamless as possible. And by getting that sort of, you know, why buy-in makes it so much easier for them to care because they understand what the the end result of this looks like on that like emotional transfer transformative level, not just like hit button A and that spits out, you know, this document. Yeah, it's, it's so true, Jordan. I hear that my call that I was on right before here, I think I was telling you that in, I get these calls all the time. All right, I placed this candidate. It's a family law associate attorney. I placed her 60 days ago. Part of my process is I have my attorneys go through a 90 day onboarding process where we get in a Zoom room and I help facilitate it. Everybody has to be on camera so I can see the nonverbal language and really, and I support, I serve as a facilitator, as a mediator, clarifying, verifying, asking the questions that nobody wants to ask, saying the things. And on the call was that I got the call Friday morning when I was out for my morning walk and the attorney's like, I don't think she's working out. I'm like, all right, well, hang on. Part of the process and part of my guarantee 
because I'm not redoing your job and you ain't getting a refund. If you don't show up for these calls, attorney, busy attorney, rockstar attorney, that we can onboard your employee. Let me just remind you, we hired her on this day and then our next call was scheduled for this day and you canceled this call, this call, no show for this call and a reschedule for this call that was supposed to happen in July that you rescheduled for October. Wait a minute. Sounds like a couple of our clients. No, just, <laughs> just kidding. I mean, and and look, that's the the reality is there are so many emergencies that happen in the legal industry. You get called to court. There's you know an emergency with a judge. There's a hearing that has to happen. If you're in criminal law, you know somebody got arrested or whatever that was. But you're never going to get more time to do the foundational stuff that'll allow all the emergencies directly unless you do everything you can to prioritize those yeah. um, like you know meeting with molly during the 90 days well you know the cool thing about that because i said all right let's get everybody responsible for making the decision if this person is we're investing any more time in them or their heads they're gone and interesting enough they i get it i go but you also have an office manager and a coo why are they not facilitating these calls? We don't need you, busy attorney. Like, you're not even really working directly with the onboarding process. She's like, wow, I never thought of that. Like, yeah, get the COO on the call. So we just had that call this morning. And we just, I said, let's dump out the junk drawer. We're going to talk about what is working, because I like to start with the positive, And then we'll talk about what is not working and where we need le up leveling and levels of improvement. Very healthy, awesome, productive conversation. Like I was on fire after everybody was 35 minutes long, not long, completely have a path and plan. We're meeting again next Thursday. Like we're meeting every week until you see a turnaround because this person has a turnaround. They're passionate about family law they love your firm they love your clients the thing that's not working is the implementation and giving them that time attention feedback and interesting enough because when i gave the new hire the floor I'm like all right talk to me you have full permission to be honest in fact, you have the responsibility to be honest right here. You have two rock star attorneys saying, we want you to be honest, what's not working? And here's where she goes. I will send emails saying, I need more work and I don't get a response. I will send files that I complete and I will say, here's what I did, here was my strategy, tell me what I did wrong. Crickets. I don't get anything until it's you know two hours before we're supposed to be in the courtroom. And then I, it's like, you mess this up, this up, this up. So I feel like, you know, that as entrepreneurs, right, Jordan, we know this. We're like, oh, God, like I have to spend time with my employees. I love my employees, but I'm like, I also have this podcast to do. I have this to do. I have that to do. And sometimes we, we don't, you know, give when we have to spend time with our employees, we're like, it's an either or mindset. Like then I can't work on client work, revenue producing, whatever it might be. But they're your greatest asset. And we, it's our job, if you can do it consistently, persistently, and give them the permission to, again, and give them the communication skills, but give them the permission to really ask for what they need, to tell you what's not working from their perspective, and be open to it, and actually listen to it, and then empower them to turn it around. I guarantee within 30, 60 days, whether it's a new employee, underperforming employee, or someone that, you know, every time you see their name, you want to, 
and I hear this all the time. I, I want to ditch my meetings with them. I don't want to talk to them because I know it's going to be painful. That's when you know you really have to pour into them to find out if they're the right person, if it's the right person, right seat on the bus, all that. Well, and it's interesting to me because, look, at, at the end of the day, every business, no matter what you do, you have some sort of administrative component of making sure like business stuff happens. You have some sort of financial component on making sure everything's paid both to the business and by the business. And you fulfill something, you know, in our case, we're fulfilling legal services. So you start out as a great lawyer, you know, the legal services, you have to learn the other two parts and then you hire lawyers, but you don't want to take that like administrative management role to train them to do things correctly as the lawyer part. That's the part that, you know, and then you are concerned as to why they're not doing a good job on the lawyer part that you didn't help them learn, you know, be trained on because you're doing it or because you're not sending them enough work or whatever. And so you end up in this like just vicious cycle of never being able to get out of that, you know, the fulfillment technician side. And I want to highlight, I love it. You use the lawyer side of it because there's no shortage of training. Listen, we're not asking, I'm not lobbying that you train a lawyer on the skills and knowledge or paralegals or what have you. There is no shortage of online training for those things. And this, like this person in particular, she was rocking it on the legalese. And she was very much, you know, in regards to what needed to happen in the, her craft of family law. It's just that she wasn't getting the coaching and the feedback after. And I think so often we think we're, all right, great. I'm going to check the box. You're going to sit in front. You're going to go this online CLE program. You're going to watch these videos. You're going to read this manual. We have all, all the training wikis and lawmatics or whatever it might be. And so you're good there, but then you still have to come back and treat it like a book report, so to speak. Okay, here's what I want you to learn from this. Here's the takeaways. And I want you to come back and present to me what you learned. That's the best way to train people, teach, show, do, go, grow. But you can't just stick them into a, you know, Wait, family law teach, course. Teach, show, so, do, grow teach them what they should be able to do, actually show them, pull up, and that's a part that's missing. People will teach them, you watch a video or what have you, but they're not connecting the dots of showing them all the different places, your CRM, you're pulling up Lawmatics, you're having the physical file, if you have physical files, show them how all the dots connect and all the pieces, let them go and do it, and then they come back and present it to you, and then they can grow. But just telling them and teaching them, that's the part where people usually just do it and then stop, and then they're disappointed. I love that. So I guess that brings me to um, an interesting point here. So from, from the standpoint of growing our team's skills, is this something that we should be doing from day one, or is there really like a 90-day onboarding process before we start helping them be better or I kind of walk me through that analysis. It's day one. In okay. my experience, it's the human stuff of why people either get fired or quit and or we suffer through them and resent writing them a paycheck. It's their behaviors, it's their habits, it's the mindset, it's the way they talk or the way they react versus respond when we give them directions or we question like, hey, what's up with this? Why didn't you do this or what have you? It's really honing those, what I'd like to call adult skills and really being able to get them on the communication, the mindset, the project management, all that. So I say from day one, 
And the way that you do that, the only way you can do that is by giving people your precious time, doing weekly stand-up meetings, you know, whether you call them level 10 from EOS or you call it whatever, you know, stand-up meetings, which is a military term, whatever term you use, where you're doing all hands on deck and you're doing the state of the union of your business and treating it like a stakeholders. Then you're doing daily huddles where you're checking in. Okay, here were your priorities from yesterday. And it doesn't have to be the attorney either. It can be a middle management or a team leader. It doesn't have to be a, a you know, seven figure C-suite position either. Many of us don't have the budget to do that. And really it's a consistent, persistent communication, not a coffee clutch where you're just talking about it. There's an agenda there. And everybody's clear on the agenda. And the thing that I see that you do that from day one, you listen to the way they respond. You ask, see where they're coming with proposed solutions versus constant problems. If you have employees, whether new, old, or in, in between, especially in this day and age with contract employees. Um, it really just making certain that you're checking in with them. And there is, and I, I'll say this, and people don't like these two words, but there's accountability and consequences. And I always use this analogy of saying, you know, if you, what's the first bill that everybody pays? Your mortgage, because there is, consequences if you're not paying that right they don't send you your bill and say pay when you want there is a day honestly i probably pay my internet bill first i don't want to lose Netflix. <laughs> no 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 i'm with you <laughs> and and i mean people know all right our internet you know what's important to you you know what you absolutely positively are not going to ignore the accountability this is secret entrepreneurs this is secret attorneys employees love accountability and they want it and they will say that when there's no accountability in the firm there's no framework for it so pick what word work resonates with you but there's no framework and when you look at there's no framework, the equation is there's lack of leadership. Well, true leadership. From the employee standpoint, you know where you stand, right? Like if you, hey, look, they told me to do 15 things a week. I've nailed these 15 things every week. I want to raise. I've been doing everything on there. What's the, you know, what's the problem? As opposed to if we don't have that feedback loop, then it's like, well, are you actually doing those right? Are you hitting all the, you know, everything that you should be doing? Is it being done correctly? Are we getting the right results from it? Um, I love that. I'm with you. And they love they love it once you do it. And listen, have fun and gamify it. I just had this conversation with all my recruiters last week because there was this thing where they were scheduling part of our process is we do Zoom interviews with the attorney so we can coach the attorney on, all right, you showed up like they were on a trial. You didn't smile. You weren't warm. You weren't welcoming, whatever the pieces are. So we do a whole coaching feedback for them. Well, the thing was all my recruiters were scheduling meetings for times when they didn't, weren't available. If it was Pacific time and they were Eastern time, they would be emailing me and be like, hey, I can't do this interview. I said, all right, great. Next time you guys ask me to do one of your interviews, I'm taking $600 out of your pay because that's my hourly rate. So anytime that I have to step in for your interviews, I'm okay, I'm happy to do it. But if you're asking me to do it, I haven't been asked at all. They all started laughing. I go, I am dead serious. I'm not doing your job anymore. So now it's super fun. So now they're taking control of their calendars, they're facilitating when they're offering times. 
just like we do with clients and law firms. You don't just say, oh, right. client, client, when would you like to come in? Oh, I'd love to come in at nine o'clock on a Saturday night. Like you don't do that. You you take control of the narrative and the conversation because you know the effect of you as the employee. So I love that. And then, so I, to me, I think the next step of that is what are you helping your employees learn? And, or I guess maybe it's how do we figure out what to have our employee, what skills we want our employees to grow? Yeah, it's those soft skills first and foremost. It's number one for them understanding, like you said, the why of the business, but their why of what they contribute right down to the receptionist. I mean, that, that uh, to my opinion, the people answering your phones and in your intake and client services are the most important role in the business. If they're oh. not doing a good job, the attorney's job's useless because you have no clients to meet with. I, I so, so, so a thousand percent agree. So, you know, it's those soft skills. Having to really understand how to, again, clarify and verify every time you end a conversation about a specific file, about a matter, about a marketing initiative, what have you, to clarify and verify and take control of the communication and say, okay, great, just want to quickly debrief. You told me this, what I heard on the Smith file, I'm going to call, you know, legalese, and I'm going to sign up for lawmatics, I'm going to make sure that we, you know, have this, that, what have you, because it causes the attorney who is 50,000 steps ahead and has 40,000 different conversations in their head to pause and to be present and to be still. So I teach my team, like, do the referee sign, time out. On the bread, um, on the inside of one side of the bread, not on both sides, you know, whatever it is. Um, it is really interesting to see. It's a how, butter knife, not a steak knife, five-year-old. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, the things that we take for granted, um, and obviously, you know, that's sort of a silly example, but it's a silly no, example it's to great. prove the point of you get if you get really specific with these things, you'll see so many areas where um, it's not common knowledge, even though it's common to you. Well, it's not. And then when you you do what your boss is given to you, and I'll just use that term for lack of a better term, or whoever's giving you the direction, a paralegal, what have you. And then you go back to them. And that's a conversation I just had with that employee. She's like, well, I give things back and it's crickets. Nobody gets back to me. Like you have to empower your employees. And these attorneys are like, what? We didn't know that. Why aren't you advocating for yourself? Why aren't you hounding us? Why aren't you reminding us? And she's like, well, we're all adults. I'm like, yeah, but we're all busy adults. Your job is to be that professional babysitter. And you not only have the permission, you have the responsibility and the absolute authority to do that. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. <laughs> it's true. I mean, and and look, there's a, I, I always go back to like, you know, you, you mentioned Gary V before. So like in a 12 and a half, he talks about this whole like balance between putting your employees in the right position to succeed by you as the owner, you know, the right onboarding, giving them the right uh, tools for it, giving them the right time for it. But then there is that switch to holding them accountable, making sure they actually do it. And so there probably is some middle ground on that feedback between you should have given it, but they should have followed up to get it. Um, it's a very interesting uh, tightrope to walk. Maybe that's not the right term, but. 
And it 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 is it, I, from the employee's perspective, it feels like a tightrope, and from the employer's perspective, like no, 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 it's a wide, beautiful plank with a tremendous amount of support around it. But that's a disconnect because the employee doesn't want to push their boss. They don't want to bug their boss. They don't. They they see how busy you are. I always tell people when you onboard someone or if you have an underperforming employee, have them come shadow you for an entire week, sit in every consultation, every finance meeting, every and just see. And so often the employee will be like, oh, my God, they don't they didn't even get to use a restroom for five days. Like they're just getting hit every way to Sunday would have you. And then they're like, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to help organize this. I'm going to have there. They're like, we'll take a bullet for you. So it is that tightrope where there's that fine line for accountability. And I think Jordan, that's what's missing is there's never a conversation about accountability and consequences for all of us, including me, the boss, like I probably need it more than anybody. And not only that, but I need you guys to understand that you have permission to absolutely hold me accountable and vice versa. And a lot that helps with that is the CRM, is it workflows, is it tr triggers and chains. So we're not all left to our very, very, you know, crusty memories. I always love you get like the uh, the law firm org chart, right? So you've got like all the rank and file, you got the management, you've got the owner, and then you're like, and my executive assistant is actually on top of me, making sure I yes. am accountable to the rest of this because otherwise, uh, but it, it's so true, you know, and it's, and I, and I say this, I say this as I'd like to think I'm more of a, the solution than the problem, but I admit that I'm definitely part of the problem on so much of what we're talking about. Um, and I can trace so many of the issues back to my fault along the lines of what you're saying. I hope some of our firm owners are listening to that because ultimately the beauty of it is the more you are the problem, the easier you are to change, the easier you are to be the solution. Yeah, I've, absolutely. But then you're not the problem. So talking about at what point does it shift? Because when you have a vulnerable, transparent conversation with your employees, first of all, you mentioned the E-Myth, the best book I ever read. You know, and another book I'll just throw out there for all your employees to really read is Rocket Fuel by Gino Wickman. It's phenomenal. So many of my employees, when they read that, they're like, oh my God, this is exactly how my attorney is. I realize it's not oh. my attorney. They are, they're a visionary. This is real, every story, every description was, you know, they ditch meetings or, you know, last minute Larry, they're blah, blah, you know, the visionary, when you understand truly what a visionary is and what your role is as an integrator, implementer, what have you, regardless, of what seat you fill, they just are so they come out like like so empowered they're like i got it now it's not a jordan thing this is an entrepreneurial thing it's so it's, interesting because when you said so uh just to step back for a second so rocket fuel by gino wickman talks about that visionary integrator situation as two pieces of the puzzle is working together whatever so i i didn't really understand what you're saying at the beginning but i love that from the standpoint of if you put the attorney in the visionary seat even if they're doing attorney work Yep. And you have that interplay between the paralegal, the legal assistant, whatever. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I can see Receptionist, that. Receptionist, yeah. any of it. Because so often people think it's it's a Jordan thing. It's a Molly thing. It's, you know, Bob, the attorney thing. That like, it, But then when they read that book, they just get it. I mean, probably by page 20, I think it is. They're like, holy cow, this is 
to the bone exactly who my attorney is. It's like, whoa, it's not him or her. It's not their behavior. It's not them doing things intentionally to me as an right. employee. It's really, truly the makeup of an entrepreneur. And couple that with, with um, the E-Myth, man alive. If you could take those two books, and I always like to recommend having a book club as a law firm and always working on something every week in your weekly stakeholders meeting to have those two millimeter shifts that Tony Robbins talks about. You're unstoppable. Well, and honestly, really, I'm sure there's a way that somebody smarter than me would do this more. But ultimately, if Emith has your tactician versus your visionary versus your manager, and then um, Rocket Fuel has your visionary versus your integrator, for the most part, really, your integrator is probably your manager from Michael Gerber's standpoint, and the attorney is probably too visionary and not filling the tactician role enough. Interesting. You have, you have, uh, yeah. And sometimes, you know, uh, Rocket Fuel, he, he doesn't like job descriptions. He doesn't love the org right. chart part of it. So, but you can get the same essence from it. And sometimes, sometimes, you will realize that you have a attorney that owns the business and he talks about this in the book and they're not a visionary. So we're missing that visionary, which tells you where we might, you need to maybe have a conversation of outsourcing some of your sales and marketing that it's not just in there. They're just not that person, but what does every business need? You need lead generation and lead conversion or else you're not a business. It's a hobby. Right. Well, and the and the uh, the disdain for the org chart goes back to the accountability chart, which goes back to what you're saying about employees liking to be accountable. Just from that standpoint, you're actually giving them the you know five um, the five or so specific tasks that they are empowered to be in charge of or responsible for. And to go back to your original conversation, when they're connected to the why, you know why you do what you do as a business, and then they're connected to all the pieces that. They do have to be in play in a business with like Gerber talks about, like Gina Wickman talks about, what have you. And they're deeply rooted in that and invested. They could be your board of directors. And when you treat it like that and everybody's voice matters and getting them really collectively and having a conversation about, you know what? I see that we're really missing a lot of the visionary stuff, or I see that we're really missing a lot of the entrepreneurial spirit stuff. And the attorney's like, yeah, guys, that's what I've been telling you, but I can't get out of the conference room or I can't get out of this role. And then your team can be like, all right, what do we need to do to support you to free you up from doing every client meeting? What now this is why where I kind of disagree with Gary V because they do care enough. I have employees that'll call me on the weekends and say, I my husband is so mad at me because I can't stop working or thinking about work or talking about work because I know where we need to go. I know where we want to go. We're not doing it. And I'm losing sleep over our clients. They'll use words like our clients. That is somebody who absolutely cares. And so often I'll get calls from employees that say, I can't care more about this business than my boss does and my attorney does. I feel like I care more than they do. And like, I, I rest, I guarantee you care just as much as they do. But the th missing piece is you're not having time together to talk about the vision and the why. So that's the only missing piece. Once you can create consistent, persistent time for that, then you'll do, then that's how you really get that rocket fuel.
And for every for every lawyer listening to this thinking, oh man, wouldn't that be great? You have to make sure though that you're balancing that in a way where they don't get burned out because it's a lot easier for them to leave when you know it becomes something that takes up all their nights and weekends than it is for you as the business owner to leave. So there is almost this dichotomy of the amount of time the business plays in their life to make sure that they have enough time to stay at your business as much as they care. Yes. Well said. So I, before we go off to this topic, now that we have gone so deep on so many books, I want to get your opinion on this one. I hate is too strong of a word. I don't think lawyers should read the E-Myth for lawyers. I think they should just read the E-Myth Revisited, the normal one. Do you agree with me? I do. I do. Absolutely. You know, so often I'll hear from attorneys um, that they won't attend certain programs or they won't do certain thing unless it has the word law firm or lawyer attached to it. So the living in just one very small perspective. And I, I believe that when you look at your law firm like a business and come at it from the original e-myth and remember especially for attorneys that are high, high technicians and or high fact finders and analytics on the Colby and some of the other assessments. I think it does you a massive service to read, to not to read the one for lawyers and really to be living in that feastum of just lawyer, lawyer, lawyer perspective and really start shifting into, especially in this day and age of running it like a business and an entrepreneur. Until you get into the marketing that tells you to cold call a thousand potential clients and your bar says, we will take your bar card very quickly. Uh, yeah, that, that's our, uh, that, that's the real limitation on the lawyer specific stuff, I think. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I want to, I want to flip this a little bit. So we've got the staff that we're in. We, we've got them invested. We're giving them feedback. They know that they want to learn some stuff. How do we figure out what's the best? methodology for them to learn, you know, between putting them in a course, between taking them to a conference, between having them audit a class, like, is, is there a best practice there or how do we figure out what's best for each employee? You know, there's a few things. Number one, I, I am a fan of the assessments. Again, don't use them as a crutch and don't use them as a weapon. They're a tool to support you. The Colby A assessment, I'm a huge fan of. It's inexpensive, 50 bucks and easy to learn and distill. Um, so uh, Gallup Strength Finders, I'm a big fan of. And those are by and large the two ones. And I know there's Predictive Index and all these DISC and all these other ones um that are out there but those are the two that i use so whatever works for you resonates with you understanding people's dna and how they're wired and how they like to give information and receive information is first and foremost now here's a mistake that most people make we take these assessments and then they go and sit on a shelf and we do nothing with them and we don't keep them consistently and persistently within our communication where we always speak into them like my high high entrepreneurial attorneys, they will say, okay, great. My quick start needs blah, blah, blah. Or if a high fact finder is coming at them and wants to have, you know, 17 hour conversation about one case, like timeout, I'm I'm at the beach mentally. I can't even listen to you right now. You're so deep in the weeds on information. Give me the bottom line. Give me the headlines. I'll tell you if I want more information. And I train my team to talk like that. So finding out how people like to give and receive information, you're not going to tailor this whole onboarding and communication to people. But 
it, I, in my experience, if you are going to a course, if you are doing online training videos, what have you, it really doesn't matter what the method is. The part that I see that's missing is actually the pre, during, and post event. Just like you would if you're doing a workshop. What do we have to do pre to launch the funnels and everything else to get butts in the seat? Okay, what's happening while we're doing this live event in the room? And then what's happening after with follow-up and all that? I mean, I use it as example because people, I, I know, Jordan, you probably never get these calls where they call you and be like, you sent me a bunch of crappy leads. You know, I got all these leads and all these people showed up and then nobody hired me after. Like, oh, well, tell me about your follow-up process after. Like, That's, huh? <laughs> that is why we do what we do the way that we do it. Because <laughs> I've made a bunch of those calls as the lawyer because nobody had a, an after sequence for me. Yeah. And it's the same with training. Treat it like a, an event. There's a pre, what, what's happening pre, so okay, great, you know, criminal defense or family law attorney or what have you. You're going to go watch these eight hours of videos or what have you. Here's the deal. You know, I want you day one, do this. Here's what I want you to look for. Here's what I want you to watch for. This is what you're going to see in the video. Here's the outline or whatever materials go with it. And then we're going to meet after and I want you to give me a debrief. Most people throw someone in a conference room. If there's eight modules in the training, for example, I want you to watch all eight modules for a week. Well, a lot of times when we hire people, we're like, what the heck do we do with them? And so we're just buying time by throwing them in a video in a conference room with a bunch of videos. And then they come back and they make a mistake. I'm like, oh, I spent all this money on this training video and they screwed it up. They didn't learn anything. It's like, you have to, do it in bite-sized pieces and, and there has to be a plan. Debrief day one. All right, here's what we're going into module two. Here's where we're going module three. Again, that teach, show, do, go, grow. And in my experience, it's no different than a workshop where you're spending, you know, a thousand bucks on Facebook ads or what have you, and then showing up for the workshop and, you know, you have a room full of people and then you have an empty calendar. Well, and and I love it that you broke it up into modules because I remember, you know, my first lawyer job was a state attorney. And so here I am like fresh out of law school. And I actually had been an intern at the state attorney's office. But even then they're like, all right, there's a week of training. And by six hours in, you're like, I remember 10 things that have been said, <laughs> you know, like here, here's how you use the computer system to do 47 different things. And I was like, nope, <laughs> did not catch any of that. Um, you know, it's, it's true though. It's like, uh, it's like drinking out of, well, I guess, for law firms, either you have the firms that have nothing in place. You have the other one where it's like, all right, now drink out of this fire hose as it's, you know, blasting your face with the 10,000 entries we have in our uh, Tetra or Tranual or <laughs> office policy, whatever. Oh, yeah. And they spend so much time and money. And I'm a huge fan of process. I'm a huge fan of automation, but it's not, you're not hiring robots. Again, they need to be connected to the why, but you know, I get calls from attorneys as I'm sure you do all the time. I spend all this time and money and energy on building process and system and nobody follows them. I'm like, all right, well, let's talk about, you know, the process of implement. And to your point, they're like, you know, they came in and I handed them the manual and all they had to do is sit in the conference room and watch the videos and follow the steps, but they had no physical file. They didn't have all the moving pieces of it. And I don't know about, I, and my question always is, hmm, let me ask you, if I put you in a conference room right now at, oh, hell no, I wouldn't do that. We expect your people to do that. Yeah. <laughs> 
so I guess what as we get towards the end here, what does this look like when the process is I'm gonna call it smoother, not smooth. Like you know, you you have all these issues. You got the employees leaving or, or you know leaving quickly, being aggravated, not performing up to standards. But as you make these transitions, like what's the transformation you should see at your firm that lets you know that you are helping your employees grow their skills the right way? You know, I'll go. I will tell you the first thing is how you feel inside, meaning that you it is Sunday night. You know that it's my, or it's Sunday afternoon, what have you. You're out with your family doing fun stuff, and you are so pumped for your Monday stakeholders meeting or level ten meeting. You can't wait to get up there because you, whether it's in person or in a Zoom room, you as an entrepreneur know that your people come up, they show up prepared, they come with proposed solutions versus constant problems. You are attending as an attendee as much as just looking at your calendar, what's your top three for the week, you're running it like a level 10, and you're not facilitating and leading because you have leaders leading leaders. You don't resent and dread having to meet with certain people on your team, by and large, for the most part. So you know that people are coming and showing up fully, wholly prepared and present. So it is just quick. It's easy. It's fun. They're coming in with like, all right, I did this, this, this. I saved this client. I crushed this file. I closed this. I have this on deck. I have these five things that are on that I absolutely have to complete today. I'm putting myself in a quarantine room. Nobody can bother me. I don't care if the building's on fire. You know, that's the only time you can interrupt me. They own it. It's in their bones. It's in their blood. And they have that because you've empowered them. You have been consistently communicating with them. And when you're interacting with your team, you're showing up truly as a coach and a mentor, and you're just redirecting them. You are not constantly having these come to Jesus meetings. So when you have it, and I will tell your listeners, yes, it is possible. It is absolutely possible, but it starts with you. Of just coming in and being like, guys, I know that we've been doing it this way or what have you, but I am deeply invested in all of us having ease, joy, flow, consistency within each one of our jobs and as a firm as a whole. And we're just going to burn the boats on everything that we've been doing in regards to consistency or in regards to communication and, you know, workflow and all the things. And we are going to redirect how we're doing this. We're starting with a weekly stakeholders meeting and we're doing a daily huddle and then we're implementing quarterly growth plans for each employee. If you do just that and you, again, start with heart and you make it safe for people to use their voice. So when they're saying they're communicating with you, what's not work is not your job to put your lawyer hat on and start debating and defending. You show up approachable. Totally. So pro Jordan Ostroff pro tip, take this for what it is. Uh, I also want to make the first like five minutes of that. We do a modified level 10 meeting fun. So we started doing an icebreaker and like some of them are really the traditional, like what was, you know, your first celebrity crush growing up, whatever other ones we've done. And I've been kind of selfish about it. So like we, you know, we're on this road tour, um, road trip as we go across the country, we came back to Orlando the last couple of weeks. So two weeks ago, I was like, what's your favorite rest new restaurant that you have found in Orlando? And so now everybody's sharing, you know, oh, we got to try this place. I had this place open up, whatever. And I'm just like, all right, I'm going to try these five restaurants, you know, when I'm back in town. 
Um, but it starts that meeting off in a way that is uh, disarming, I guess. Like, you mm -hmm. know, everybody's sharing something easy. We're not coming in like, all right, what was the biggest complaint a client had last week? You know, <laughs> what, was, what was the biggest mistake we made? You know, we're starting off with an easy one. Um, and it sort of, you know, greases the wheels for everybody to share a little bit more with a little bit of a smile. Uh, and I, I think it changes the whole tone of that meeting, at least for us. Oh, absolutely. I love that. All right. So as we get towards the end, is there anything else you want to make sure we cover? Or have we gotten over the uh, enough of the quality over quantity growing your team's skills? I think we're good. All right. Awesome. So then let me talk about our next episode. Then we'll come back for your final nugget of wisdom, your biggest takeaway. Um, our next episode is going to air on August 22nd. So next Monday. We're going to do that in the evening, so a little bit later than these shows are. I believe that's going to be 6 o'clock. Uh, so we're going to try out an evening episode of Exhibit A. We'll have Chris Dreyer on. Chris is going to talk to us about SEO insider tips for getting serious cases. So not the soft tissue uh, in injury or long PI, but more serious stuff. So we're going to we're not going to show any pictures of you know mutilations or amputations or whatever, but we're going to talk about some of the specific SEO tactics for those more serious cases next Monday, 6 p.m. in the evening. Uh, but that being said, Molly, I am not gonna let you go without a little bit more insight and wisdom from you. So for anybody who's been watching this for the last 55 minutes, if they remember nothing you said except what you're gonna share now, what would be your biggest piece of advice, your most important takeaway on how they can be the exhibit A of a successful attorney? I would say my biggest piece is to walk your talk. So many of you might be shaking your head. I hear this all the time, whether you have a phenomenal team and you want to up-level them or you have a mediocre team or right now your team's a disaster and you want to fire everyone and go up, open up a hot dog stand or whatever it might be. My recommendation, if you feel like you've tried to enroll people, you feel like you've had this conversation to nauseam and, and you're like, doesn't work. My recommendation and my experience is that you have to consistently show up and do it yourself. Start with you as the attorney. Show up at your next level 10 meeting, or if you don't have one, put one on the calendar and be vulnerable. Say, guys, I know that we've tried to do these meetings. We've tried to do strategic retreats. We've tried all this woo-woo, you know, Michael Gerber stuff or what have you. But this time, I'm telling you, I'm committed to it. And here's why, and here's what it is in it for you. Here's where it breaks is that you have an emergency with court, what have you, and then it doesn't happen. And your team is, they're not, it's not a conscious, it's a subconscious. Like, yeah, been here, done that. We've tried to do this before. But if you're not seeing consistent success, if you're not having that place of joy and ease, then my recommendation is that you make a personal commitment that you are going to drive this thing and you are going to create that turnaround. So I cannot recommend enough that you walk your talk. If you are wanting your team to use their voice any more than they are, if you're wanting them to come to a proposed solution, you want them to come to you with ideas to stop delegating up, to show up prepared and things of that nature, give them the benefit of the doubt and give them the space and grace and listen you know, twice as much as you speak. And they're... And even if that's not your issue, or even if you overcome that issue, like Molly said, you're going to have weeks where you just don't have it. The benefit is by doing this meeting every week or by having the huddle every day, your team will know that something's wrong, but they'll know it in a supportive way. 
you know, yes. like if your kid kept you up all night and Monday morning you're dragging, you know, they're going to ask about your concern. Or if when you, if you do the rate, the meeting at the end for the level 10 stuff, you know, you can share some of the stuff going on. The problem is if you only do this every quarter or you only do this once a month and you happen to be dragging on that day, it's so much time before anybody sees you, you know, on your game uh, as that leader in that meeting. So you really need to do the once a week or the daily huddle um, because you won't be on every day or at yeah. least I'm not. Exactly. And you brought up a good point. I'll just say this real quick. If you are already up leveled and your issues are not getting that consistency and you are the person who's not available and you have up leveled and true visionary and entrepreneur, enroll someone on your team to be that team leader. You don't have to go job, put a job ad out there for a CEO or COO or what have you. Find the person that's a rock star within your firm. It might surprise you. It might be the receptionist or some client service coordinator, what have you, and have them start leading these meetings and being part of it and taking ownership of that. Because when you can't be there, the meeting still occurs and they collaborate as a team and it's not wholly dependent on you as an entrepreneur to be there. And we have had, and then, uh, so we do ours in Google Meet. So we record it if, you know, if I'm out uh for the week and some of the meetings without me are so much better or at least so much funnier like it's cool to see you know everybody hold their own and keep pushing it forward um all right well with that being said molly thank you so much for joining to everybody who's been listening to this we hope to see you back next week next monday at 6 p.m for chris's episode on in seo insider tips for serious cases and molly for anybody who's been listening now for the hour and really wants to get to know you better follow along hear what you have to say hire your company what's the best place for them to stay connected with you I think the easiest way is go to our website, hiringandempowering.com. And if you opt in, we drop a new podcast every Tuesday, a new blog every Thursday. And I think that's a, uh, and again, we try to have a tremendous amount of tips and techniques for you and value add. And I think that's the best way to get an essence of our tonality and what we do. Love it. And I will, I will, t I uh, Molly's here, obviously, even if she wasn't here, I would totally vouch for the wonderful tips that Molly gives that are very different than everybody else in my orbit. You know, it's not, it's not coaching tips. It's not marketing tips. Obviously go through that. So much of this is so tied into that building a team, the right hiring, the right onboarding, right? All that stuff. And we just don't have those resources um, uh, anywhere else, or at least certainly not to the extent that we have the other stuff. So Molly, thank you. Um, thank not just you. for that, but also for joining us. And with that, everybody, we will see you next week. All right, so now Greg's going to shut the feed. He'll be back. Um, we have.